0: Welcome to the Yana podcast, a mental health podcast where we're going to talk about life, hear stories of strength, and get all in our feelings. So we can remind you that you are not alone.
1: Our hosts are me, Carly, and Becca. Both of us are super passionate about mental health, advocacy, education, and shattering that stigma. We love creating opportunities for young people to share their stories. And experiences about navigating mental health and life in general.
0: The content of this podcast may contain mature subject matter, such as discussions about suicide, self-harm, drug and alcohol abuse, sexual or physical violence, as well as the use of strong language listener discretion advised.
1: Hello, welcome back. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the pod.
0: Welcome to the pod. Welcome to Yana.
1: My gosh, I can already tell this is going to be a wild time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. yes.
1: So before we get into
0: our guests today, because like always, but especially today, we have really awesome guests and yes. have guests. Which We have guests helpful. with an S, multiple yeah. guests. So that's exciting. That's exciting. Um, but we'll give you the quick rundown
1: on why we do this podcast. So
0: Carly and I both work for
1: NAMI. Yes, we do, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And Becca and I have the, the we're the luckiest of them all, really, because we get to work for NAMI Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, which is the affiliate here in Philly, the affiliate in Philly. And we get to do a lot of awesome stuff, like provide education and support, advocacy, um, resources, connections to all, bu- like a whole bunch of cool stuff for people who are impacted by mental illness. And Becca is one of our fearless leaders of one of our awesome programs.
0: Yes, thank you, Carly. So um... I hired you, you know. Um, So yes, we have a program called Ending the Silence, which is our teen mental health educational awareness program where we go to schools, we go to youth programs, we go to colleges, we go all over the place really and we talk to kids about our not kids, I guess young people, young people about mental health. And, you know, we go through warning signs, uh, suicide prevention, how to help your friends, how to help yourself resources. And then the best part is that it's always paired with a young person who shares the story of their own mental health journey. So because of COVID, good old covid we weren't able to do things the way we might typically do them so we had to kind of figure out another way in which we could give young people a platform to have conversations surrounding mental health hear stories talk, just you know all that stuff all the so, therefore once there upon a time in a land far far away
1: this happens every week guys
0: uh, I just added the land far, far away.
1: Mm-hmm. Per my suggestion.
0: Um, there. Um, Yana, we gave birth to Yana.
1: <laughs> so, it happens every time, but it's like part of the podcast now, so it can't go away, you know?
0: It can't. So oh, yeah. uh, Yana, Yana,
1: Yana, Yana's here. Yana stands for you are not alone. Woohoo! Yay. So
0: that's that. So today... We have two awesome guests. Um, They are the group Hand-Drawn Maths. It's an indie rock duo from the South Bay in Los Angeles, California, composed of lifelong friends, Stuart Crichton. Oh no, I did it. Yeah,
3: that's it, Crichton. Like Michael? Okay.
0: And Blake Baldwin. The two create a unique sound that draws from a wide array of genres, genres from classic 1960s psychedelia Oh my God, I can't do yeah. this today. because
1: you've had 19 cups of coffee today. <laughs> <I am>.
2: So
0: <laughs> Is that how you pronounce that word, psychedelia? Psychedelia, okay. yeah. Okay. My gosh. And surf rock through current indie rock, pop, and more. Often drawing on their personal histories for inspiration, the lyrics bounce from themes of idyllic love to drug use and past forays with the altered states of
1: consciousness. Hello. Hello. Oh, hi, Blake and Stuart.
3: How's it going? Hey. Hey.
1: Hey guys, this is going to be a fun time. Like like I said, I can already (laughs) tell it's going to be a wild ride.
3: Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. You are welcome. And before we jump into hearing about you guys and how awesome you are, I like to always start by doing our little check-in, seeing how (laughs) everyone's doing, and then I like to ask my question of the episode. So Um, I um, will ask the question now so you guys have some time to think about it. And then you'll answer the question after you check in. So I'll start. The question is, I feel like this is an appropriate question for the guests that we have today. What was your very first concert? Your very first concert, who was the, who did you see? Okay, so (laughs) that's your question that you're gonna answer. You can tell me a little bit about, you know, the experience, who was it? All that kind of stuff. Anyway, so check in first. I will start. I am doing very well. Um, I, again, also have had 19 cups of coffee today per usual. Me too. Um, yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> so I've done a lot of work today, which is great. Um, my wife just bought me chicken nuggets from Burger King. That I did mm. before this podcast. So I feel extra special and happy. <laughs> so jealous. I know. they delicious. They were legit fire. So everything is good. I mean, I feel super motivated and focused on work and getting that kind of stuff done and just really trying to take it one day at a time and remain as stress free as possible. My first concert, this will not come as a surprise to Becca or to anyone who knows oh, me gosh. on this podcast. My first concert was the Dream Within a Dream Tour by Miss Britney Spears.
3: Nice. You're
1: welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Hell yeah. Britney, That's awesome. listen, Britney, and she still is to this day, is one of my favorite humans on this planet. And I will always stand with Britney. And she was my first concert. And I was like sixth row, man. I was oh, like, yeah. it was the most incredible experience of my entire life as i was like 11 years old or something i don't even know but it was the best i still remember it to this day and i have also seen her in concert many other times as well
2: Nice, <laughs> big, nice. Fan, big
1: fan big fan britney if you're out there i, <laughs> you. I love you free Brittany. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah her, her dad just needs to give her back her money i swear
1: pre it's disgusting Preach. <laughs> it's thank disgusting. you pre <laughs> britney hashtag yes. free so that is me doesn't i mean it makes sense for me to have a Britney Spears answer in this podcast. So Becca, how are you? And what was your first concert experience?
0: All right. Well, I'm good today. I just got back from physical therapy, so I'm a little sore. Um, but I And I got up early to go to the pool for a couple hours before I had to do anything today. And... <laughs> Carly's like, uh huh, um,
1: as her boss. Here I am, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just loving kidding.
2: working <laughs>
0: from home. Working from home, <laughs> but it sucks. The weather sucks, so I'm a disappointed about that. But anyway, I my first concert. So, all right, my first concert was when I was five. My parents took me to see Bob Dylan, nice And like at Tanglewood, which is in Berkshires in Massachusetts so it's like a big lawn kind of situation. I was five so I'm sure it was a great time but I also just want to say that because it's funny the first concert I chose to go to (laughs) this shows my age Bush.
3: (laughs) Oh red.
1: Love
0: that for you Beth. And I was like that girl and I was like 12 or something and I was like
1: I love you Kevin oh my gosh
0: you would have never seen
1: concert I was so
0: embarrassing
1: go to an NSYNC concert (laughs) that's awesome awesome. oh that's that's me good answer (laughs) all right let's go to Stuart Stuart how are you what's up how's your heart
3: I'm doing good I'm doing pretty good I've been uh I woke up did some exercises and stuff this morning kind of went on a bike ride but I've just been chilling and um Mm -hmm. I feel good I had a little bit too much coffee so I'm feeling like anxiety and Welcome stuff like that. that so yeah. I'm like I, I feel like I have something to do but right. you know I don't really but um I, I feel good feel grateful and you know I'm just uh happy to be here and yeah and let's see my first concert was mm-hmm. uh when I was, like, 12 years old or something like that, my dad brought me to see, My dad's, like, an old-school rocker, like, yes. bike, biker dude. Amazing.
1: And
3: he, and he brought me to see Van Halen. Um, awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but,
3: but it was the Van Halen with Sammy Hagar, so it wasn't even with... Uh, with um david lee roth but the one thing i remember is uh my dad had like this giant flask of whiskey that was okay. metal and he couldn't take it through the metal detector so i remember we had to walk back oh and he's like <laughs> yeah, <it> was... <laughs> so we, we missed the first part of the concert i was like jesus christ dad. Oh but, um, I, i'm oh not gonna
0: dad. lie that has happened to me
2: more <laughs> <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh
3: but the first <laughs> concert i chose to see that I actually bought tickets for and I got my shit together a little bit later on in life so I didn't have any money until I was like 22 or 23. Same. (laughs) And the first concert I bought tickets for was to go see Postal Service at the Greek over in LA. Nice.
1: Love them.
3: Yeah got to go see Ben Gibbard and Postal Service and get down and and that was a really good feel-good concert. Yes.
1: Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Very good.
2: Well,
0: I good. also just wanted to say that you were like, I feel like I have somewhere to go or something to do or something. <laughs> definitely have the equipment behind you. There's like two bikes
3: <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah.
1: and, all, the and all
0: the things. So I, know. I like to stay
3: active.
1: <laughs>
4: well, good that's for you. good. I that's do know awesome. what's so.
1: Blake, what's up? How are what's, you? And tell what's us about up? your concert.
4: How's it going, guys? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. doing good. We're, you know, we're slowly creeping into the afternoon over here in California. So, um, yeah, things are going well. I've gotten some work done today. And um, I'm trying to get back into my morning routine of doing um, some journaling
2: yeah.
4: and meditation and, like, a little bit of yoga. So I've been doing that. Uh, I did, did that this morning, so I'm feeling good. And um, my first concert was in 2000. Nice. When I went to, uh, I was like graduating eighth grade.
2: Love and
4: that. Some, some of my some of my friends now, have, you know, we're like over twenty years, like best friends, that kind of thing. We went to go see um, Bad Religion in Blink One Eighty Two. Oh, so I, got- I went <laughs> to
0: that. I went to that tour. Oh, really? Yes, that's yes. awesome. Bad Religion opened for Blink, right?
4: Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that was the order. Yeah, I actually yeah. still have it. A- I have a Bad Religion T-shirt from that era with like oh, really? flames on the sides. Have- and the giant like crossed out um crucifix on the back.
0: yeah yeah <laughs> so. yeah i had one too but i think the armpits turned yellow so i got rid of it
4: fair enough <laughs> Mine, mine's mine's black so yeah but I, I was like like 12 12 years old like the parents just like let us loose in the long beach arena like here have fun like we ended up in the mosh pit and everything is amazing
0: yeah so. i think i got i got like there was like two mosh pits that merged and i got they yeah. like glided into me. It was really fun, but I um, I think I was, I had already graduated high school.
1: So bit older oh than my everyone here I've never been here. A mosh pit. They don't do mosh pits at Britney concerts.
3: <laughs> I don't know, but they should. They should, should
1: absolutely yeah. should. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you I imagine like tea. oops? I did it
4: again. During toxic,
1: <laughs> yeah, right?
4: Toxic is a banger.
1: It's a banger. Yeah, right. Like someone <laughs> yeah. say otherwise. Thank you. It, no, no, it
4: is. You can't. You can't. It is.
1: Ah, uh, that's awesome. See, see, we're all we're all Britney fans here. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Yes, I'm amongst fellow fellow stands. There's Britney right.
3: fans, and then there's liars, exactly who, who say they're not Britney. Fans.
1: Exactly. Yes. They are not welcome here. No. Anyways, <laughs> so thanks for checking in, guys. That was fun. You guys are fun. Fun people, so let's let's talk a little bit about who you guys are at your core, right? Like, who are you? How did you guys kind of meet one another? What were some of your experiences as younger younger dudes? And you know, what brought you here?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Whoever wants to start can start. I
4: don't know. Blake, Spirit? you go. Blake, you go for it. Okay, yeah. Well, um, so. Stuart and I have known each other literally since we were like babies. I'm, I'm a few years older than him. So I, I literally have known him since he was born because our our, par- oh, wow. our our parents were like really close friends. So there's pictures of our parents like, you know, going out camping and like partying together and stuff I like that. 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 Be- before we even like existed. And oh, um,
0: that's so nice
4: yeah and uh, his his older brother is a little bit closer to my age so you know we just we just spend a lot of time together like his family like going on trips like going snowboarding going out camping that sort of thing like rolling around in the dirt yeah. and um but, uh, his his dad is a guitar player and like musician my dad is a little bit as well they but they you know he's a musical guy not like a he's not really like a guitar, guitarist or anything but yeah. I, was, I have like very specific memories of them you know, like making up goofy songs for us yeah. as kids. And I'm pretty sure there's like video like evidence of this somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> on yeah. VHS Someone, in someone's of closet. On VHS.
1: Yeah.
4: Oh yeah, one hundred percent. So um, yeah, so I mean that's it's kinda crazy, you know, that we've we're literally like thirty-four. I'm thirty four, so I've known him literally my whole my whole life. And um, amazing.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah, it was kinda that's wild, you know.
4: We both grew up in um, down here in the South Bay in, in Los Angeles, and so I think things were pretty much, you know, like idyllic, like growing up, you know, in South Bay, Los Angeles, like going to the beach, that kind of thing, until we were probably in our late teens, when I feel like things like started kind of like going off the rails, like both Stuart and I were like experimenting with, with drugs, and, you know, I'm sure had some like mental health stuff going on at the same time. And yeah, um,
1: listen, that age is a wild time. Yeah. Like, late teens, I mean, if you say to anyone like, tell me a little bit about what happened in your late teens. They would be like, dun, dun, dun.
2: <laughs> oh,
4: <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. So so there was, like, there was a, like a time there where like Stuart and I, you know, we just like didn't see each other, you know, like we I think we only heard of what was going on with each other like through like our moms, mm-hmm. you know, but we, yeah, we took our different paths for a while, but then we both ended up living um, in Highland Park, which is like Northeast Los Angeles, like kind of near downtown and then we started reconnecting and started playing music together and you know here we are like releasing releasing some of that new music this year so it's been a crazy ride but it's yeah it's going well now obviously yeah
1: I love (laughs) that you guys are have I love that you guys have been together in partnership and in being buds since you were little I didn't expect to hear that so that was a, a cool fact
2: yeah
0: yeah So then, Stuart, do you want to give us the little rundown, and then I'm going to dig into both of you? (laughs) Oh,
3: yeah, do it. Yeah, please. Well, yeah, like Blake said, you know, that's pretty much a good chunk of what happened. But, you know, I grew up over in Manhattan Beach area. He grew up in Palace Verdes, which is like kind of right nearby. And we're kind of like on the coast of uh, the southern part of L.A. But, yeah, I, I grew up in a pretty musical household you know musical theater on like my mom's side that's kind of where i learned how to sing and stuff like that but um and then my dad's like a rock and roll guitar player dude so i, I kind of picked picked that up at like a young age i remember um walking to a into mars music hey blake you remember mars music on redondo beach boulevard no right i
2: don't that place is red
3: yeah you i dad? walked I, I walked in and i um and i found a bass guitar and mm. um and like, I just kind of fell in love with like the low end and rhythm and like the rhythm section behind that. Yeah. And, and like, that's why even when I write music today, like I, I find like the rhythm section and like the bass lines are just so crucial in trying to make a song. Mm-hmm. But- um,
1: it's Like the heartbeat,
3: right? It's like the heartbeat, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just like the spine of everything that holds everything together, you know? And um, yeah, during, you know, middle school was like probably like the toughest time for me like uh, as far as like mental health, and I'm sure like a lot of people have that story because like middle school is just such like a trash. lame place to be. Yeah, <laughs> it's so trash. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, because um, I was like a little bit different. I was sort of like a hippie kid and stuff, and I and I liked music. You know, like old school '60s music, like the mm-hmm. Beatles, the Who, the Stones, Velvet Underground. Um, yes. And stuff like that and like that's very like out of the norm from like all my classmates who like blink 182 and stuff like that which is all good like and like but like they like more current music and i was different so i was like pretty like heavily bullied because mm-hmm. of that until um because and, of
1: music taste like yeah, literally because, because of your taste in music oh yeah oh
3: yeah kids oh, are yeah. so
1: right
0: yeah i me too mm-hmm. <laughs> i was wearing a blink 182 t-shirt one time and somebody was like so, like, yeah, like made fun of me that I wasn't punk enough,
4: you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. The way kids like gatekeep other kids. Like, I, had, I also was bullied for wearing uh, some band t shirt like in high school. And the guy's yeah. like, do you, Can you even name some of those lyrics? It's like, what? Like, I know. Yeah.
1: The wild world, <laughs> yeah. man. <laughs>
4: yeah.
1: So, poor Stuart, you were getting, getting bullied because of your, your beautiful taste in music.
3: I Mm -hmm. guess. Yeah. So yeah, that kind of happened. And then, um, like eventually like through, by way of my older brother, who's more Blake's age, like I'm more similar in age to his little sister, but, um, I I didn't really connect with his little sister and I kind of, wanted to hang with like the older boys, you know what I'm saying? And like show with them. And like, I was kind of always a little different, you know, I'm not quite old enough to hang out with them. You know, I don't really quite fit in with like my peers at school and, uh, and and I, I, discovered, um, like when I was like around sixth, seventh grade, like I took a little bit of weed from my, my, my brother, George, and kind of, uh, met some kids who were, I wasn't exactly cool with. And like, we all smoked weed together and like, all of a sudden I'm cool. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> after, after one day and I was like, wow, like I, I finally feel like I fit in and I have, uh, I have a place to fit in and I feel like I belong finally. And, uh, And I I feel like I discovered my identity there and um, it kind of just went all, I mean, I had some good times like throughout that, like in high school and stuff, but like it quickly started to progress and I found myself like on a big downward spiral eventually, which led me to getting clean and sober by the age of 22 because I was dealing with like a lot of depression, drug addiction and um, yeah, and I just, I kind of allowed myself to like really go down far down on a path, and I eventually, uh, got myself into a treatment center, which is a crazy story, we'll go into that a little later, but, um,
2: yes, we will, yeah. Yes, yeah. we will, <laughs> but,
3: um, yeah, we'll go into that, I have a, I have a lot of shit that happened, or stuff that happened my bad. um, but, uh, all right, cool, and I had a lot of shit that happened, I, I was in the shit, but, um, yeah, so, I eventually got out of treatment, and, um, I was living in a sober living, uh, I had obtained a guitar again, because I was always very, like, musical and stuff, and yeah. I uh, started really diving into writing my own music and, like, kind of collaborating, playing singer-songwriter open mic nights and stuff, and, um, and also, like, maintaining, like, uh, my self-awareness and trying to stay sober and, and clean which was really difficult to do, but, um, I was able to maintain and kind of stay abstinent from that. And then eventually my mom told me that Blake was moving to town and I was like, oh yeah, like, and, all, and I was like, yeah, Blake, my like friend growing up, like, I'm like, let's, uh, like, like we should meet up or something. And like, uh, I, he came up to a random show of mine and I was like, I was, like, kind of my bass player at the time. Like, I was doing a singer-songwriter band, like, little three-piece. And my bass player at the time had a kid. And he was like, I quit. And I was like, oh, man, what to do? And I'm like, oh, wait, Blake's, like, a super musical guy, too. Mm-hmm. And so um, I I just called him up, like, one day out of the blue. And I'm like, hey, let's let's, uh, let's jam. And, and, you know, we got together. And we started just, like, immediately, like, plugging into Logic and uh, yeah. recording, like, music. And, like, our songwriting chemistry was, like, just um like kind of on another level of anyone I've ever worked with before so we just started nailing out demos and um and like kind of getting excited behind this project before uh the pandemic hit like in 2020 we were planning on getting into the studio and stuff and um it kind of just all collapsed and we kind of went into hibernation mode and like kind of survival mode like kind of everyone did at that time because it was yeah, just right. so un- it was so unsure what was going to happen but yeah. um yeah, I remember driving around one day and, and like, I just like stumbled on my phone on all the demos that me and Blake made. And like, I kind of got like really sad and I was like, you know, like, I want to, I want to get back in and try this. And I hit him up out of the blue and I think he had listened to the demos around the same time. And he's like, dude, I just listened to those the other day and they're tight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. we need, like we need to get back in there. And um, we eventually uh, like got some studio time with a good friend of ours named Steve Ornest. He owns and operates Total Access recording over in Redondo Beach. They've recorded like really big artists, like No Doubt, yeah. Sublime and stuff. Really I really saw
0: young. that, like Pennywise yeah. and yeah.
3: Pennywise, all, all mm-hmm. that scene. And you know, we decided like to just kinda go at it full force and really dive into it and and give it a chance. And once we both got in the studio and started playing all these vintage instruments and like really developing our sound, like in studio, like we Ooh. both got really excited about this project again and have kind of been okay. trying to go at it full force ever since.
1: A true love story. <laughs>
3: <laughs> a true bromance story. A true
1: oh. Bromance.
3: oh, totally. So
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So um, okay so let's go back
2: <laughs> absolutely
0: <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do so, so you guys were growing up like I'm just picturing like my own situation as related to this but like I you know family friends like where I was the youngest whatever but so you so Blake you were like friends with Stuart's older brother and then Stuart you said you stole some weed from your <laughs> older brother
4: so uh, yeah from us probably
0: (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) so you guys and you were talking about how you were getting into like drugs and drinking was that just like part of norm on or was there like you know why how did that kind of start to happen
4: for um yeah i mean it just sort of kind of like like stewart you know i um had met some guys we were friends his dad or someone older brother older cousins you know somehow we got some weed in our hands and you know we smoked weed for the first time probably in like seventh or eighth grade like also kind of young Mm -hmm. and um you know it just from there i just started to you know we started experimenting with more and more drugs started drinking that sort of thing you know, I I feel like a lot of people graduate from high school and then like go crazy in college or like that sort of thing. But for me, it all happened earlier. Yeah. You know, which like in some ways I'm grateful for and in like other ways it was really difficult because I was struggling with, um, you know, anxiety and depression and like alcohol abuse and other drug abuse like while I was so young. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like now I sort of have like in hindsight can look at it as like, you know, I was coping with X, Y, and Z, you know, there was some part about it that was like kind of recreational Mm
2: -hmm.
4: in like, in like, like, Hey, we're just having fun.
2: Right. You know what I
4: mean? You know? And like, there were some really fun moments, like, (laughs) you know, as, as like, it's, it's hard to admit that, you know, because like no one wants to be seen as like someone who likes doing drugs, Mm -hmm. but there were some moments that were really awesome, (laughs) you know, but in like, but also you know i was around a lot of really difficult things like seeing people um having to go off to um addiction centers you know yeah 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 sorry having to go to treatment centers when they're like 14 or like getting in serious trouble with their families or hurting or hurting themselves or other people you know people like getting in car accidents getting duis like i pretty much have seen it all like including um, knowing some people who committed suicide because they were like so down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And yeah. I just like by luck of the draw, didn't have anything like absolutely horrible happen to me, you know. But it was. It's only now that I'm older I can kind of look at it all and be like, I dodged some major bullets. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> you know.
4: Mm-hmm. So and so, anyways, yeah. So Stuart, you know, being a couple years younger than us. I think he saw like yeah like what his older brother and like and I were doing and I think he sort of like followed suit like a little bit like obviously you had your own you know experiences and path or whatever but like Mm -hmm. I know we were probably bad influences.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Older siblings
1: sometimes can do that right? Older siblings can sometimes kind of pave a path that may not be like the right path but I am a younger I'm the baby of my bunch
2: mm. and
1: I always just like good or bad admired the things that my siblings and their friends did because I thought it was like cool so yeah. and I wanted to fit in or I, and I'm much younger than my siblings mm. so I looked at them as like oh my gosh like they're so cool so I I can relate to that feeling of just like wanting to be a part of that yeah
0: and i have to say that i like what you said about like there were fun times because like so i'm in recovery from addiction <laughs> and, and alcoholism and i um my best friend who's been my best friend for 25 years since we were in like middle school um she mm. we were just talking about this the other day like how like because i'll just start saying because my recovery is more recent well it's gonna be five years and like yes,
1: two, it is Queen. Five yeah, it years. It still feels like
0: thank nice. you. Thank you. It still feels like yesterday. But um, we were talking about because like I'll start. I'll just say something about like how I couldn't make it to nine o'clock without you know a.m. without drinking and um mm. and she'll be like God, I like had no idea it was so bad and like you know and I was like yeah because I was hiding it from literally everybody including myself but like um but then we'll start talking about these like ridiculously fun times we had you know where we were you know drinking or getting high or whatever and um, and so I like that you that you mentioned that because like I feel like especially in recovery like it's supposed to all look bad
4: right you know? yeah.
0: And like so I think that makes it hard for some people to relate to that could use help because they're like, well, I'm having fun. So, you know, yeah,
4: that's, that's like totally the problem is there is sometimes. Yeah. That are, that's okay. I mean, that's why alcohol is legal, you know, for the <laughs> for, it's partially why it's legal. You know what I mean? Cause if you do it like in moderation, like it's not so bad.
1: Right. And there are some bodies and brains that can do it in moderation. Totally. And it becomes like a recreational social thing, but there are some bodies and brains who can't, even like like be near it or around totally. it you know yeah. so.
4: but even even as some even myself coming from someone who like i have an addictive side but i also have like a lot like just by the grace of god or whatever like i am able to control it like a little bit more so but like even though i didn't like go totally down the rabbit hole i had enough experiences where i'm up at like five o'clock in the morning coked out of my mind totally like pissed drunk but then having like realization moments and really looking around at like what i'm doing mm-hmm. and the people that i'm with and seeing really like the mental state that we're all in and just being like there's something wrong here
1: yeah and that
4: and that happens enough times like i have no desire to go back to that place as far as i'm concerned nothing good happens after midnight
1: yeah, That's the wit- be a title of somebody's book, <laughs> The Witching Hour. What, the Witching, the witching hour.
0: hour. One of the artists that I used to work with, like, we would say, because we were both sober at the time, and we'd be like, All right, like, we'd be at an event or whatever. We'd be like, All right, it's midnight, time for people like us to go home. <laughs> <The
4: witching hour. laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I've always wished I could be someone that could do it in moderation tried so many times but not
3: a tough part is like even like someone with like a mind like mine who can't like handle stuff in moderation no matter how hard i try when i hang out with people that can like i start to feel like i can because i i see this it's like the whole analogy hanging out at the barbershop and like not getting a haircut and just Mm -hmm. smoking cigarettes or whatever but um yeah i i I've fallen victim to like being able to try and to compare myself to other people and like compare my own story to other people and just not succeeding that way because I can't handle my stuff like the way they can, you know?
0: Well, it's like they say in AA, like alcohol or drugs are, uh, it's cunning, baffling and powerful. Like it'll Mm trick you into Mm
2: -hmm. thinking
0: that. And that's what happened to me every time was like, I just would, every time I relapsed, that it was, You know, I would be around people who were, and that, and honestly, for me, I had to move away from the music world because it was, I was like, I don't know, it felt like it was a really great place to mask a drinking and alcohol and drug problem.
4: Oh, totally.
0: So it was just not healthy for me. But also, I wasn't a musician so it, it, it was easier for me to move away because that wasn't who I was you know it was right part of what I do
1: sure mm-hmm. sure that makes sense and so I every... always like
0: I always have so much admiration for people in the music world who are yeah. able to get uh, clean and sober and stay, stay sober.
1: It's yeah. amazing. I really like what you said too, Blake, that like, you were like, you never know, like I, I did struggle with depression and anxiety and like maybe I was masking those feelings with drugs and alcohol. I think that is sometimes people see that in hindsight, right? Like they don't realize that that's what's happening during their, their that experience. But yeah. we, we teach at NAMI that oftentimes like alcohol and drugs are a negative coping skill for a lot of people. Oh, totally. that they turn to those things so that they don't have to feel the other things.
3: Yeah. yeah. Everyone, yeah. everyone talks about drugs as a problem, or I have a drug problem. Like, mm-hmm. and, it, and it took me a long time to realize that drugs are the solution to my problem. And that, um, you know, the real problem is the way I think and like the way I feel on the inside. And like only when I get to a point where I can change that and, or I can begin to change that and like there's simple ways to do that like um the 12 steps like if if you're familiar with that I know like uh Becca you are so Mm -hmm. like and it comes down to me being able to practice uh well it comes down to me being able to believe in something and also practice contrary action and also help someone else you know and like when it comes down to that like it makes things a whole lot easier you know. Yeah, yeah, you,
1: Becca always share that piece, Becca, where you were like, I couldn't, like, you really, I feel like you went into treatment, right, for drugs and alcohol. And there uh, you kind of were able to, like, really experience your healing around your mental illness, too.
0: Yeah, well, in the beginning, I would say, I'm Becca, I'm a substance misuser. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so I was like, once I learn how to use them correctly, I'll be fine. But yeah, I mean, I am miss AA, like AA is my life and mm-hmm. i you know so I, I as soon as you started to say the um you know talk about the 12 steps i'm like uh-huh everybody i feel like everybody should do the 12 steps yeah like yeah my dad came with me to a meeting once and he was like so how do i become get to be an alcoholic i said the same thing <laughs> that i went to
1: a meeting like one.
4: yeah i yeah. like this community how do i get yeah. to be
3: a part yeah.
1: of this
4: <laughs> this well, makes sense that's like one of the most Important parts about it. I mean, especially like in our culture nowadays, we're so like um, isolated in so many ways, you know. And like social media and like the way we live our lives, like just does everything possible to exacerbate that problem, you know. So being part of a, I mean, for, I'm I'm really deeply into meditation
2: yeah.
4: now. And uh-huh. um, for the record, I, I am like mostly sober. Like I can drink, and no, I won't like go off the deep end. But I choose not to because it's just, I don't know. It doesn't vibe with me anymore, really. But uh, not, yeah, it's, it just seems like a waste of time, <laughs> to be honest. But um, yeah, I mean, there's like so many ways to like, I think, be whole, like as, as a person and to like be self-healing or just like, you know, ways to think about your healing and like yourself. And it's like mental, spiritual, physical, but mm-hmm. your community and your environment is so important. Yeah. And we, a lot of us don't, a lot of us don't have that kind of thing. So like when I was getting ready to go study, um, and in college and music school, I was hanging out with a lot of my old friends. Some of those guys I went to the Blink-182 concert with <laughs> and like, no, sh- not to shit on them. I love those guys, but they were just sitting around drinking a lot, smoking a lot of cigarettes, doing drugs. And I just had to fully just like extricate myself from the situation. Yeah. Cause I just like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to do that. I don't want my life to be what you guys are doing, you know? And, um, I'm so glad I did that because now, like all the way through my twenties, I was able to slowly deescalate, you know, my drug and alcohol and cigarette use to down to basically nothing. And you know, I think that's have,
1: why. Go ahead. Hmm. I have questions. Oh, I was just
4: going to say, I think it's, I think it's cool. Like, you know, Stuart and I both are, arrived at like sober lifestyles, although, you know, I still partake in some things sometimes. Um, but, you know, we mostly are on the same page about all this stuff and are in the band doing this. And we're still going out in situations like playing concerts or whatever, where people are up all night doing that kind of thing. We, we were at a house show in L- out in L.A. like not too long ago. We were both out until like 3 a.m. or something. Mm-hmm. You know, I maybe had a, a beer or two, but Stuart, we're just hanging out talking with friends. I never smoked a cigarette, never did anything like that. I was very proud of us yeah because after, after all of the shit we'd had to go through to get there to be able to go out and just be like okay like I don't need to participate in what these these other people are doing
2: right. if,
4: if it's like a negative thing
0: yeah that's yeah, amazing anyway. I I struggle with that like but it's, it's also hard like I try to protect myself from it you know like so I try not to Um, But I did go out with a cousin last weekend who got wasted. And I was proud of myself like throughout that I was just sitting there watching him get drunk and I didn't have any desire to drink. However, it also helped me not have any desire to drink to see him get so like you know, you forget how it totally. can be. Oh my yeah, that's one of
3: the, yeah. That's one of the best things that I actually got from the program is like, I can be out in those places and I'm not trying to hide from anything, but I actually just have an internal freedom from wanting to do those mm. things, you know? I love so that.
1: I love that. yeah, because I don't, freedom.
3: yeah, I don't want to have to, I never wanted to get clean and have to go hide somewhere you know what I'm saying I didn't I wanted to get clean so I could rejoin society and like do what I love to do which is play music and like the best thing that the 12 steps and AA NA and stuff have given to me is that like I can walk free in those things and I don't have that desire and I've lost the desire to use and like that's the biggest gift that was ever given to me in this program
1: I love that. I've heard my, um, one of my family members is really active in the program as well, my brother. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he said something like, I I can't quote him directly, but essentially like before AA, like I was survived, I was essentially like surviving. Mm-hmm. And like after AA, like now he's like living, it was like yeah. a rebirth, you know, and yeah. the same thing for you. Like you said, Stuart, like he didn't want to get clean and go through the hardship and the literal battle that is detox and recovery mm-hmm. for him to completely avoid every single thing and like live yeah. in a hole.
2: Like yeah. we don't, wanted, yeah. Like we don't get sober,
1: reborn, yeah. right? Like reborn. He wanted to live and like experience life in like such a different way. And I'd love that you, you know, you shared that you didn't go through all of that just to kind of back yourself into a corner and never show your face again. Exactly. You want to live and be alive. And I think that that is amazing. But why don't we take a quick little breaky break, right. and then we'll come on back and talk about maybe treatment options, what we did to kind of heal our bodies, heal, heal our, our minds. Mm-hmm and we'll talk about music and stuff.
2: Right, cool, Cool. good. All
1: right, well, we're gonna take a break. We're back. Yay, welcome back. Welcome back after a word from our sponsor. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So before we went on break, we were just having an awesome conversation about sobriety, all the kinds of things. So um, let's dig in more. I wanna get into you, Stuart, and Mm -hmm. I wanna hear when shit got real
3: <laughs> all right wow <laughs> it's, it's, that's like it's a, a very, really
1: big question
3: yeah it's a very long and convoluted story
4: but you it, gotta you got did you gotta hit him with the christmas story uh, okay
3: all right I, I will eventually uh, we'll, we'll get there we'll get there because that's that's where it all came down to rock bottom but um so when I, by the time I hit high school, you know, I was getting into like psychedelics and stuff like that, you know, eating a lot of acid and shrooms, going to see the Grateful Dead and Fish and Sound Tribe Sector 9, you know, that whole, that whole party scene. But, um, you know, by sophomore, junior year, I, uh, my friend's mom actually had cancer and passed away. And um, she didn't like to take her pain pills, so she like stockpiled them, like in their, uh, like a cabinet. So she had like endless oxy cotton and stuff like that. And um, we started eating those every day for a while. And eventually, it progressed to you know using heroin, meth, cocaine, all that stuff. But um, yeah, eventually, my mom found some uh, some like needles or something in my room when I was uh, senior in high school.
0: Wait, can I, can I stop you real quick? And yeah, totally. So can you talk about the progression?
2: Because yes. like,
0: this is um something that like, you know, people talk about all the time, especially with opiates. Like, mm-hmm. especially in oh, Philly, yes.
1: like where we live too. It's a huge yeah. epidemic right now in Philadelphia. Yeah.
3: So, yeah, so. Yeah. Started out with weed when I was in middle school. And then by the time, you know, I got to high school, it moved to psychedelics. And like, the thing is, after a while, it all got boring to me. You know, the, right. the weed got boring. The psychedelics are, were pretty cool. Like, I, I will admit, like, those are like the, the best times I've had, like, using substances. And, um, when it comes down to using substances in my mind, I always go there. Like I always, I'm like, oh, I had fun there. I remember the time when I had a bunch of heroin and I was, uh, and I was really happy and well for two days straight, like, but, um, yeah, so. I I started doing coke and a little bit of meth and stuff and then discovered these oxycontin and like I I feel like once I took those like I had arrived you you know I felt like finally that relief from my childhood just completely disappear and stuff Mm -hmm. and um it didn't happen overnight but then um I started to think about like, uh, opiates and stuff. And a friend of mine had some heroin and I, and I smoked a little bit of it. And I was like, wow, this is fantastic. Like, I want to do this every day. It's it's something I could like do for a long time, like or every day of my life. It was just bliss, you know? And, um, by the time I was in senior year of high school, I was doing it every day. And I I remember I tried to stop for one day. And I just got violently ill. I was like, Oh, I feel terrible. And I'm like, and I'm like really depressed and I'm like sweaty and um I'm throwing up and and like I'm like I feel like I have the flu and I also want to like kill myself (laughs) like it like for a lack of better words
1: and this was only one day you said like literally like one day with one day
3: off yeah and um yeah and then I like came to the realization I'm like oh my god I'm sick on like these opiates are making me sick now and then um you know, it was just a uh, progression from there, and I, and I kind of picked up, like, I used to smoke it, and then I, like, uh, my friend had a needle once, and, like, I couldn't do it, and he, he hit me with it, like, in, uh, in my vein, and I was, like, wow, this is incredible, and I learned to hit myself, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just a downward spiral when I was in high school, a senior in high school, and my mom found uh, some, some needles in my drawer, and she's, like, you know, you got to, she was very upset. And like kind of, I I was hurting my family all around me. And she said, you know, you got to go to treatment. And uh, around that time, I got accepted to a musical group, and I got to tour the world. So I was like, all right, I'll go to treatment for 30 days. And like, I'm going to prove to my mom that I'm I'm completely cured. And I'm going to go get to do my what I want to do, you know, and, uh, you know, I got back, I got to go travel with this group and stuff for a little while. But the thing is when I was in the group like I, w- I wasn't able to obtain heroin when you're in Japan or like uh, when you're in UK or anything like I couldn't exactly just go up to people and be like hey know oh, where I could hi. find some heroin yeah, right. yeah. so I gravitated towards the
1: direction of heroin
3: yeah so I, I found myself gravitating towards like drinking every day and alcohol and like and that eventually I figured it out later that like, no matter what I use, I'm, I'm using it for the exact reason of trying to escape myself in the way that I feel. So it really doesn't matter what substance I use. Like, at the end of the day, I'm trying to escape from the way I feel and, like, kind of just escape reality. But um, um, long story short, I got... What's up? I just have a question. Was there yeah.
0: ever, like, any hesitation, like, in your mind? Like, I know, like, for me, I would say, like, I'm mm-hmm. never going to do heroin or I'm never going to do you know, crack or, you know, there was like certain things that I was like, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do this. And then there was like, and then lines got broken, you know, the rules. Okay. Absolutely.
3: Um, I call those, I call those all yet's, And that stands for you're eligible too. like, and, uh, so, Mm -hmm. and and all these yets that I had, I'm never going to stick a needle in my arm when I'm a kid, like I'm never going to use heroin. I'm never going to use crystal meth. Like I'm especially right. never going to shoot crystal meth in my veins. Like, and like <laughs> all those lines, one after the other, one after the other just kept on getting crossed. I kept on, I, I it was like, almost, I was, a. Uh, I I was surprising myself with what I was doing, you know? And, um, and uh, I just went down a path. I got kicked out of the group for drinking too much. I was a drunk bastard. Like I would, I would uh, be on stage and I would be like drinking in the back, like, mm-hmm. like, cause I'd be shaking and I would get these tremors, like, and because I become reliant on these substances. It's just a part of like my body. Like I become right. reliant on substances. Um, it's a part of my why, mind. That's yeah. why
1: people get so sick. Like you were mentioning, like when, when you Certain substances you really do like it becomes a part of your you almost need it to function
2: mm-hmm.
1: or else you don't you can't function you get sick you get violently ill you have these tremors you vomit and because your body is so dependent
3: mm-hmm.
1: on these things to like live
3: yeah exactly exactly and, and i just became completely dependent on any substance i was on like at that time but Eventually got kicked out of the performing arts group for drinking, got sent back home from Japan after three months out there. It was really depressing towards me. I felt like I was throwing like my life away. And um, I moved in with my dad and I started using heroin again, you know, just like to kind of ease my sadness and depression from like kind of being taken out of something I really love. And, uh, you know, I didn't have any money. I didn't have a job, I couldn't hold a job. I couldn't do anything. Um, so I started stealing, like, from whatever I can steal from, like, to try to obtain drugs. You know, I took my dad's guitars, I took my guitars, something I worked so hard um, to pursue and something I loved so much. Like, I saw it just kind of, like, slipping through my fingers because I was, like, I had, like, this brand new Telecaster, this this amp, like, uh, and I was just, had them all in the pawn shop. And I'm like, like, I just need more heroin. And stuff and uh my dad kind of caught me doing that my mom caught me doing that and they said you're out you know so i had no place to live after a while and um i moved to downtown los angeles and there's like this little area in la called skid row where like a lot of ha- homeless people hang out there's drugs are very easily available there's a lot of hustling i can do around there i can go steal shit from home depot <laughs> and try to return it i can <laughs> panhandle at gas stations trying to make money and and I did that for 6 months you know and, and I was down there and I would just uh sleep wherever I could on the streets I could do whatever I would sometimes just go to different areas and try to survive and like obtain heroin and uh yeah. after a and while How was, old
1: were you? Sorry, how old were you here? You were I was job.
3: 21. 21.
1: Literally 21. <laughs> 21
3: yeah. years old. 21. Yeah, and uh one one day I came back to the South Bay and um or I, I remember being in LA and I saw a band playing and I was sitting down and I was watching the band play and I was like kind of strung out and homeless and I was watching these guys get down and play guitar and stuff. And I remember looking at this guy who was next to me and I was like, I, I used to do that, you know? And um, and uh, he's like, yeah, sure you did, kid, you know? Mm. I'm like, no, I, I, I swear, like I'm a musician. I, I well, used to do talented. that. yeah I used to do that and um then that that kind of just hit me and i uh i went back to the south bay and um i ran into a I i obtained some heroin somehow and i uh i used it all and i was starting to get sick already like i started to get six sick after six hours of using at that time like and if if like six hours off I would start to go through withdrawal symptoms and I showed up at an old friend's house I went to high school with he was a hippie dude I knew and he's like uh he's like hey um like what's what's the fuck's wrong with you you smell terrible you look terrible right like you are just a complete fucking what who are you right And I'm like, dude, I don't even know what's going on. So he's like, hold on. And he like went into his freezer and he had these sugar cubes that he kept, (laughs) like these sugar cube acid tabs. And um, so he opened up your mouth and he put two sugar cubes in my mouth. And he's like, here, let those dissolve for you real quick. Um, And I'm like, okay. And then like, he's like, now get the fuck out of here. (laughs) 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 So he sent you on your way detoxing and- Detoxing and he hit me with some acid. And I remember walking down the beach and I was starting to trip out at this time. I was walking down the um, strand and I was like, I was like, look at me. Like I look terrible. Like, and I feel terrible. And I'm like, and like I started going through this loop in my head. I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like psychedelics, but I just got caught in this loop and I'm like, like I'm destroying myself in my life. And then I eventually wandered over to a CVS in this area called Torrance. And it's a, it's like a weird little kind of industrial type area and i was at a outside of cds like just still like kind of tripping on myself and um i, I like kind of went into the cds and i saw the they were closing early i was like why and i looked at the date and it was december 24th it was christmas eve and and it was like they were starting to close up and uh, i just couldn't take it anymore and i was like man i'm here on christmas eve by myself and mm. out in the rain i'm like with detoxing on heroin i'm like, I'm like under the influence of acid. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, so I just, uh, I, I just picked up the payphone that was nearby. And I like kind of asked some dude for 35 cents. I'm like, can I have 35 cents to use the phone or whatever? And he's like, all right. Like, everyone's very like weary of me because I, I look like shit. But um yeah, I remember just calling my mom and I'm like, I'm ready to go <laughs> to treatment. I'm ready to get out of this life. And then she's like, okay. And then um, my dad came and picked me up and um, he, he let me sleep in his garage, you know, because I'm not allowed in the house because I steal shit. And I mm-hmm. and um, so he gave me a like a blow up mattress in his garage, moved everything out and kind of like closed the door. And then like I the door opened in the morning. I was like still like in a bad place. I can't sleep when you're withdrawing on heroin. So I was going through a depression and my mom opens the door. She's like, let's go. Like, it's time to go and I didn't have any clothes. I just kind of, um, uh, got in her car and went to this treatment center, um, over in Pasadena. And, um, I just decided I was uh, completely done. And like, they were, they told me to do some stuff there. They're like, you need to get a sponsor. You need to, uh, you know, do the steps. You need to At do hundred
1: meetings an hour.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. 90 meetings in 90 days. Yeah, and I was 90, just like,
1: 90.
3: and I was like, okay, well, let's do it. And you know, I, uh, I said, I surrender like, and, uh, I'm completely done with this life. And then, um, yeah, I just started were doing you, yeah.
0: like, did they, were you still detoxing when you got there? Like, were they able to help?
3: I, you detox? I, I was also detoxing. Um, and they were help, able to help me detox. Cause like, while I was doing all this, I was also eat, eating this shit called methadone. If you're familiar with that, I'm sure yes. you are. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I would, uh, I w- that was still coming out of my system for a couple months, two, three months after being there. Um, and like my, I remember my bones would like hurt mm. like, cause methadone gets caught in your bone marrow. I and, um, know that. I, w- I wouldn't be able to leave that place. If I tried, I was, I like couldn't see well, I couldn't like think well or stand like up very well. Cause my body was so damaged from just like getting poked with needles and taking, um, substances and I couldn't like even leave that place if I tried or I wanted to leave against medical advice you know but um I just stuck and I and I ended up finding a really sweet man named Don and he uh and he taught me about the 12 steps and about um being able to you know come to terms with like who I am like I'm an addict if I take one it's it's, it's all gone from there. And he kind of introduced me to like a power greater than myself. And, um, I turned my life over to something different than myself because my best thinking gets me high. And, um, then I was able to kind of make an inventory about things and, uh, read that to him and then take some contrary action with six and seven, make some amends in eight and nine, and then, uh, really dive into kind of continuing to take personal inventory on myself start meditating and praying more often and then trying to help other people in the program so it's really changed my life and I was able to kind of rediscover my music and my love for music along the way and that's like really helped to keep me clean along with everything else and meeting Blake has been a and re-meeting up with Blake has been like a really good part of that as well you know because um it's kind of re-sparked my passion to make music and be in a band and uh and make something that will touch someone else and be there and um kind of show that I was able to do it and I from a low spot and like I kind of got everything back and like it's very possible for everyone else too who's struggling and has been there.
0: Oh wow well,
1: I'm it's beautiful over here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like literally like blubbering, i have a blubbering mess. Yeah. I Stuart, thank you so much for sharing so yeah. much of your story um that was big that was yeah. really really important thing to hear because like you talked about so many things like your lowest of lows like the like lowest of lows and your yeah. realization that like wow like I fully surrender I don't want to live this life anymore you reached out for help hmm. and yeah that I mean
0: and I just also like You know, we just did an episode on um, on opiates and um, addiction, and um, that was not my DOC, my drug of choice. I uh, was—I feel lucky that that was not my drug of choice. But like, it's so—it's so. We've never had anybody on that's like that—that's been their, you know, their story. So it—it's really great to like be able to hear that personal that personal connection to it and like you know like alcohol the detox can be so dangerous and Mm -hmm. you know and um the medical need to you know to to do medical detox is so essential and I don't know just all those things it's really powerful so and I also like you just did a really great like uh, the steps, the steps, like yeah, right, yeah. The steps,
3: like that was really just a good summation of how <laughs> to. Thank you. Sorry, sorry. I know that's a long story, and it oh, can, don't it be carry sorry at all. Stuff, that was what, no,
1: it wasn't. That was what people <laughs> like. People come to this podcast to hear stories like this, right? So mm. that they they can connect and that they can really understand. Like, there is like beauty that can come from ashes. Yeah. And like, there's, I think that that is so, that's one of the reasons why we do this is because like mental illness, addiction challenges can impact and affect anyone. You don't like, it It can be, you don't know any, you don't know people's stories until you hear them.
0: So, yeah. And so I, Blake, were you aware of any of this going on?
4: Um, t- to some extent, yeah. I was sort of like doing, I was definitely like on my own trajectory at that point. And just Mm -hmm. like a quick comment on, you know, just going back to the fact that Stuart and I have known each other for so long, our upbringings were very similar. You know, we were roughly the same age, our family situations were very similar, our economic backgrounds, like, etc. And I was doing a lot of the same stuff that he was, you know, Um, and I just didn't go as low just by luck of the draw you know what i mean it just shows it just goes to show like how yeah like you said like our bodies and brains are all very unique mm-hmm. and some people are going to get steamrolled by some of those substances and other people are not you know because after you know i smoked weed for the first time like in middle school it was just you know sort of downhill from there i basically would just try whatever came my way i did have a hard line against heroin and i did have a hard line against crack <laughs> But I remember, I remember, you know, my, my real low, low point or like big moment of realization was like, after some years of high school, I just did everything I could get my hands on. I was, I was doing acid, mushrooms, prescription pills. I would get blacked out drunk at school, whatever, just screw it, man. I'll just do whatever I can get my hands on. And I remember specifically one time I would show up at the spot where all my friends would meet up after, after school. We're like juniors, maybe yeah, juniors in high school. And my friends are beckoning me like to get in a car. They're like, Hey, just come on, man. Come on. They see me walking up. So I get in the car. I don't ask any questions. I just get in the car. We go driving. We're sitting there. I'm looking out the window. And after a few minutes I look around, I'm like, What are we doing? Like, oh we're going to X, Y, and Z we're going to this dude's house to go like do some drugs. And I'm like, Yeah, cool. (laughs) Like whatever. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even ask. And like I ended up, you know, doing meth for the first time that night. And I was still doing all the other things in between, but there was one year where like the use of uppers, all any and all uppers became like the drug of choice. And I remember a whole year went where it was like oh I was like once in you know it was like once a month and then it was twice a month and all of a sudden it was like every week and then it was almost every day or or whatever. And at the end I remember I'm I was by myself trying to get high and i remember just it's like i'm up like i couldn't sleep it's up like i'm four it's four o'clock in the morning i'm trying to like do these uppers that don't even exist i'm like smoking a little glass pipe i can't even do anything with it and i just had this this moment of like what am i doing like i'm alone this isn't even fun like it just it felt so wrong and i'm this is where i said like just by luck of the draw some switch flipped and was and said like my inner voice was like this is not right, this is not right. I you know what I mean, and so I, I went to a friend the next day and was like, dude, I don't know about you, but like this friend group doing these drugs is, is not good for us. We're better than this,
2: mm-hmm.
4: you know. We weren't raised like our fam- we had decent families who tried to like you know steer us the right way as much as possible. So like kudos to them, because. Yeah. They might hear this story and think like oh my god we screwed up like my son was like doing these drugs however they did put something inside of us that how us realize at some point like i need help or this is not right mm-hmm. and I, I sort of you know was able to say that to my friend and we um we completely abandoned a whole group of people which was for the better because some of those people were like yeah I had to go to rehab or they were stealing from each other they were relationships were getting ruined left and right So it was really a toxic environment. And like, I was able to pull myself out. And around that time, I was probably like 19 or 20. Wow. And, um, you know, I never had to go into a program, thankfully. I mean, I I abused, I abused alcohol for years after that, for sure. Yeah. But it was um, a slow decline from that time to, to now, you know, so fit like 14, 15 years of progress. Yeah. You yeah. know, I eventually quit cigarettes. I eventually, you know, would take long long breaks from from drinking on purpose. But it t- it took a lot of time, you know, and like I probably should have asked for help and reached out like sooner. Like it probably w- wouldn't have taken me so long, you
3: mm-hmm. know.
4: And I, like I kind of like had to learn the hard way a little bit like when it came to alcohol and that sort of thing. It's almost like um Every time you wake up really hungover, just feeling like you ruined your body, there's a lesson to be learned there. Right. But you, for, you forget the next time you go out with your friends and you're like, oh, it's fine. ha, ha No problem. I didn't like hate myself last weekend.
2: Right. Yeah. You know,
4: we forget. But like, again, like I just had enough of those moments of feeling terrible that every time it happened, it like motivated me to not let that happen again. Of course. More and more and more. But you know, I, maybe I would have gotten through it a bit sooner had I, you know, reached out to family for help or, or that. and I
0: love of... what you said about yeah. like you know the about your family, like the like that they might feel like, oh my God, we must have done a terrible job because you know my son battled with, you know, drug addiction and all of this, but they did instill something in you that made you eventually reach out. Reach out and ask for help because yeah. I think that's such an important message for families. Like I know my family, like they felt like such failures. Like my parents felt like such failures. But like as we've said, I've said on here before, and when I share my stories, like I had the best parents ever. It wasn't about them. Mm-hmm. It was like, mm-hmm. but I eventually got help, and it was because of them too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You can't say for that. You know, it was for well. Me, it was yeah. you know, like I.
4: Yeah.
3: Because, yeah so a big part of that for me too just like um kind of seeing the pain that like I cause like these people who love me unconditionally and like yeah. that un- that unconditional love is like it, it actually can be a big part of like why we like get into treatment initially but we stay and but we stay clean and sober right. for ourselves you know and um but like a good part of getting into treatment and actually getting help is like that unconditional love that is shown through family
1: Absolutely. I feel like
0: the first time it clicked for me when I was in treatment. Cause like, I knew I went into like a psych ward. So like, I knew that I had a mental, like, I knew I was depressed and I was all, you know, all these things. And I, mm-hmm. but I, I remember the first time, but I was like, I'm not, you know, once I get all that situated, <laughs> then I'll be fine. And I could drink and all that. But like my, I remember my dad saying like on a family call, like, we never felt like we could say anything to you because we felt like we would just lose you forever. Mm. And it was like, Oh, you know, it just hit me like so hard. Like they, yeah. just, they were suffering for so long and it was because of me and I'm going to cry, but like, you know, it's just such an important yeah, message. And I hope families are hearing this because I think that's so
1: Yes, and ah. at the beginning, like when we first started talking, Stuart said something along the lines of like, "This impacts everyone around you. Like mm-hmm. the the actions and the the things that you're going through and your whatever journey you're on. Like your family and your loved ones are on it with you, and they mm-hmm. want you to be yeah. your best self, and they will be there. You know, it's it it is it, it's an it's a family disease. It's something that." really is, it's not just you and yourself that your family, once they're there with you and for you. Yeah. And if mm-hmm. they're not, we are, you know, like NAMI mm-hmm. is here to, to help you and to help you get connected to support in any, any way that we can too. Oh, good segue car.
2: Huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey.
1: So,
0: all right, let's, I could ask you guys a million more. Questions. Eight million thousand. I know we don't want to like, you know, make this a million hours long. So I want to hear about how the music then, you know, like how you guys then started composing your music together and, um, you the know. The bromance. Do so you want to hear more about the
2: bromance? you want to hear about the bromance? There you
3: go.
4: Yeah. What do you think, Blake? Oh, um I mean, music, music for me has been, I, I've been just FYI, I've been in and out of therapy, you know, for since I was in a teenager, like either because my parents suggested it or, or I even went in like as an adult, like I've chosen to go, to go, right. I'm actually having, I actually have a therapy session later today with my sister and my mom. We're going to have a nice little family chat about some ah. stuff that's going on. Oh,
1: bless. So, love therapy.
4: yeah, yeah no, I, I, I love it, you know, and I've, uh, but, but music has been like my, my personal like rock over over the years and I just don't know what I would do if I didn't have that and not just like connecting to it as a fan but also you know being able to um, express myself in a certain way and like also kind of like you know get, get, just get get lost in the in the connection that is that is there to be had with um, an instrument and with with sound and with music as it is so I mean yeah, you know, I always recognized that Stewart was such a, like, a musical kid, you know? He was, he was like, yeah, there was a good stage, you know, where he was kind of, like, the little brother that were, like, ah, shut up, Stewart, like, that, you know, we had, like, <laughs> we, had, we, we, had, we had that relationship, but I, I do, like, very much remember always being impressed with his musicianship. He we could always, like, like, he could plunk out songs on piano before I could even barely play guitar, and I was, like, damn, this kid is, like, actually really talented, right, you know? Okay. So, it was... <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, us finally getting together again and being able to, like, relate over these stories of our family and, like, drugs and being able to share that and work on that, all that stuff and just be able to do music together. I mean, it's such a special thing. I definitely don't take it for granted, um, you know. And we, we have, like, when it comes to writing, I don't know, it's, just, it's been very easy, um, Like we have a lot of the same references we both have similar ideas about like what sounds cool you know and i'm probably because we have known each other for so long and we've Mm -hmm. gone through a lot of the same same stuff so we both we've both been in other bands um aside from this one and it's not always that um symbiotic copacetic Chem- chemical chemical
1: <laughs> <laughs> great you know yeah. all of them fit all of those yeah. Things work. yeah
4: yeah yeah so that's awesome
1: yeah. and you guys say this about your i about your lyrics that your lyrics are like a, a mixture of like the good things and the bad things.
3: yeah well the music in general definitely is like even like with our new single catch a wave or whatever it's um kind of has like an upbeat tempo sounds more like a pop song like kind of like a power pop like indie pop song but um Mm. like a lot of the lyrical inspiration that we draw from is like more based with like those feelings of being alone in addiction and stuff and uh like dysfunctional relationships like in addiction whether it be with your family with a substance in general like um and we kind of tend to draw like more from the pain aspect lyrically, but also kind of keep the tempo upbeat. But also, there's some there's some little bits of hope in there, <laughs> like some sad hope, like wrapped yeah. up in there.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're not going to ignore like what our our past is like, you know. And some and we've like some of the songs directly reference like doing drugs or or definitely reference, um, you know, yeah. Mishandled relationships and like that sort of thing that we've that we've had to go through. um yeah. But the like musically, you know, there yeah there is some like groovy moments. It's like oh you can bob your head to this. And then you listen to the lyric. It's like, damn, that was actually pretty pretty dark. Right.
1: Like, could i be like driving with my windows down, bobbing my head. Like yeah
4: yeah I, I know it's it's kind of a weird mismatch, but like I don't know it just seems to make sense to us. Um, something that's so sugary and and poppy you know like that also feels very fake and plastic Mm
3: -hmm. you know and a
4: lot of pop music these days is like that and like in some ways a lot of art these days is like that at least in pop culture and i think both of us have like a bit of a disdain for that Mm
1: -hmm.
2: because it's like
4: it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel honest yeah there's something wrong about that you know yeah
1: it's like the pop music is like everyone's instagram reel
4: totally yeah let's let's just curate every moment because life is a bunch of
1: filters a bunch of filters and some photoshop and you know i feel like i feel like the listener
3: i feel like the listener can really tell if something's like inauthentic too you know like i can always i have like a really good bullshit monitor (laughs) and i can really tell when something's not honest and like when I'll even take a look at some of my lyrics sometimes. I'm like, if it's not vulnerable and honest and, and I don't feel weird about putting this in there, then I'm, mm-hmm. I shouldn't make it. Like, I should feel kind of like weird about making that. Even like in Catch Wave, there's like a line about like getting relief. It's like, um, it's, what um, does it go? It's a uh, next time we meet, pull up my sleeve and we'll see if I'm ready then. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, wow. it's just kind of like has to do with like the addiction and just like not being able to overcome that. uh, yeah like always relying on that so if like once if I feel like something's not vulnerable or honest enough it's got to go in the garbage and we got to like kind of make something else because I don't want to do stuff that's exactly safe either
1: sure Sure. I love I like that too
3: yeah being
1: a little being a little provocative right like we want to have those conversations where we're you know kind of like welcoming in that taboo where we're talking about it and where we're breaking down these the stigma around conversations like addiction drug use and mental health
0: I'm like trying I'm laughing because like Carly and I just had a. An issue surrounding being taboo topic or being safe.
3: Uh, uh, (laughs) We
0: both both tend to be provocative.
2: So,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, we like like, barriers, but like that's where things happen, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's where change is made in the provocative, Mm -hmm. change is made in, in those conversations or awareness is made when people are, you know, not playing safe. And yeah. having conversations that are a little bit harder and talking about that vulnerable stuff. So, yeah.
4: yeah. So, so many things. I feel like so many things in our culture are either like put behind a closed door or are <laughs> stigmatized and judged a little bit. So, whether it's, you know, like birth and death, mm-hmm. those things are sort of taboo things. Sex, drug use yeah. is heavily stigmatized, mental illness, um, um, sexually transmitted diseases, like these yeah. heavy stigmas around this stuff. Like, let's just, t- just talk about it. Like we talk doesn't have it. to be, yeah, it does not have to be like this hidden thing that's looked down upon. like the judgment around drug use is, is probably what kept me quiet from talking about it more often to my family members, that sort of thing. Yeah. A
0: yeah. hundred. Yeah. A million percent. Like that's, yeah, exactly. And that's what some of the arguments are for like things like safe injection sites and you totally. know, kinds of things where that it, it, it kind of help hold the shame away which is really what can help change things and I think that like some of this that like for better or worse is what's kind of happened during the pandemic like the things have been brought to the forefront a lot of things that were taboo and not talk, talked about and unfortunately some things that we didn't really want I mean like that shouldn't be oh we're not going into the politics, but you
2: you know, there's been a
0: lot of, (laughs) thank you. Um, But like, you know, there's been a lot of things that I think like, I think there's been a lot more emphasis on mental health, mental health during the pandemic um, Mm -hmm. and addiction and suicide and stuff. So, and death obviously um, and mourning and all of that. So, I mean, I think I mean, it's not fortunate that that had to happen in order for that to conversation, but it, I think it is this silver lining, if you will. But um,
4: yeah,
0: yeah. But awesome. this has
2: we, been
1: great.
4: I know. Thank you. This is been for so good. Us. And
1: I mean, we we always like to say, I mean, we literally could talk to you guys for like five hundred hours. Like mm-hmm. that's like our our ultimate hope is to be able to just have unlimited amounts of time to talk to our guests. <laughs> Yeah, because you're so wonderful. But we, we want to number one, we want to know um, where should I ask my question first, Becca, or should we get social? Yeah. First? Ask okay. So I'll ask my famous question. And that question um, is just a message of hope, right to the, our listeners or whatever you want to call it. So the question is, is if you could have told or if you could today tell your younger self one thing, what would you tell them? We'll start Man. with Stuart.
3: All right. Well, I, I don't take my experience like for granted. And like, I feel like um, I'm, I'm very well grounded now because of like where I've been and like what I've seen um, throughout my life. But if I had to just give some advice to my younger self, it would be to, you know, be be careful and like just uh, don't rush anything you know don't um your it's life's not a big race you know like you don't have to go down certain paths but I, i'm glad i'm here now but you know i would just say to be careful and not and just take things slow and and just be okay with being yourself
1: i love that that's a great <laughs> message thank you <laughs> you're welcome blake what would you what would you tell little blake <laughs>
0: Uh, that's what she
1: said.
4: I uh, sorry. <laughs> no, I um. Like
1: little Blake. Young, <laughs> Blake. <laughs> young Blake,
4: young L- L- Blake. Wait, L- Lil Blake, like my rap name, yeah. <laughs> Lil Blake, Lil L I L Blake. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I would probably just, just like hug myself and be like, "Hey, it's okay." Mm-hmm. Um. God, what would I say?
1: That's enough, honestly. Yeah. You know, like, I would just, say just, that's
4: it. I would probably say just, you need to do whatever you can to to just take care of yourself and stay and stay healthy.
1: Yes. I asked.
4: Don't, and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to get rid of things or people. Mm-hmm. Life is very precious. Be careful.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Something I was like going to say like, you know, um, something that I think a lot too is like all these terrible things happened to me and you know I can't believe I had like or you know and I I, I suffered as an addict and everything like and an alcoholic as I did and we're the lucky ones right like oh yeah oh so lucky and I try to like remember that always that like addiction and mental illness and all of it is so, yeah life is precious Life is so precious.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah, that's a beautiful true. add there at the end. So
1: I always love this. I was just this is like I could probably talk to you about this off record, but I'm gonna put it on the podcast as a just <laughs> a future. Now you guys can look back and be like, we talked about this on our podcast. We should get or collect all of these statements of hope from our guests and compile them into like a book or something to like. Yeah. Right? Like all of these Love, like messages yes. of hope. This is me as your boss giving you a job. So like that could be something so powerful. I would okay, buy so that. when you like, say
0: we, you mean
1: right? Like we can, <laughs> we can make a desktop we can make a desktop calendar or just like like even like little like cards or something. Cause these messages like means so much to I hold on to them I really do like are always so encouraging and supportive I sometimes will go back to old episodes and just like pick one and listen Mm -hmm. to it and it's just been really cool that's this is my favorite part of the podcast is these little messages of hope so Mm -hmm. you guys never know maybe you'll be added to our our desktop calendar (laughs) or our bestseller you never know (laughs) whatever that's awesome
2: yeah no that's
1: awesome you guys are freaking awesome
2: thank you fantastic
1: where can we find you follow you where can we support your music give us all the all the deets
3: well yeah well we got a we got all our socials on instagram it's hand-drawn maps official it's that's like the handle for everything like twitter's hand-drawn maps la just because hand-drawn maps is too long for a twitter <laughs> handle but um yeah you could find us there or hand-drawn maps com. like you could find all our stuff there we're releasing a new song called everybody knows on the 13th <clears throat> and it's cool. a song uh, also kind of about addiction in a dysfunctional relationship and uh, it's kind of our darkest number to date but uh Ooh.
2: Hey, can, we love
3: can, dark. yeah so you can find us on spotify and uh and like kind of every streaming platform you can find our music just look us up at hand-drawn maps and um yeah
4: we have some. link oh. oh i was gonna say we have some live videos too that are coming out for um everybody knows that it's gonna have an associated live video so that's gonna be over on our youtube we all uh, the live video for catch a wave is already up there as well so you can Ooh. you can search uh hand-drawn maps catch a wave on youtube and you can find us there as well
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah and we will that. link all of this up in the show notes for sure mm-hmm. awesome um and we will be playing catch a wave at the end so stay tuned after
1: stay tuned.
0: messages ah, i don't know where can weird. you
1: find now oh. I knew, where can you find us on Insta?
0: and you can find the yana podcast on instagram at the underscore yana podcast very sensitive note for me that's our instagram got hacked and shut down so we had to start from scratch terrible if you go to it it looks like we haven't done all that much but we have we have a lot of nice out there
1: and you yeah listeners you can download our podcast or subscribe to our podcast on all podcasting platforms um, and go back and listen to all of our episodes. And if you are interested in sharing your story on the Yana podcast, you can send us a DM on Instagram and we'll connect with you guys that way. Um, But please know that this podcast is here to just create awareness and to give young adults um, an opportunity to share their story because like we mentioned before, sharing our story erases stigma. So we want to be able to have as many opportunities with incredible people like Blake and Stuart um, to share our stories and to connect with one another and just to to understand that this this kind of stuff happens to people and that we need to to erase some of that bias and stigma around it so that we can shed light. That's it. So that was my little soapy, soapy, soapboxy, sappy, whatever you want to call it.
2: But that's, nice. all. that's all we've you. got
1: for today yeah right, Stuart you guys are freaking awesome yeah
2: so thank for you having so us. much Thanks,
3: thank you guys of thank course. you
1: and we will um, see you guys or not see you but we will we'll be here next time to be with you in person <laughs> next week
0: yeah you have to stop saying see you next Tuesday No, it's just <laughs> not like what I said we won't see you next Tuesday
2: oh
0: no, no. nice um All right. So peace and love. Peace and love. Stay tuned for Catch a Wave by Hand Drawn Maps. If you or someone you know is in crisis, call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. Or you can text NAMI to the Crisis Text Line at 741741. Or go to NAMI.org for more information. Remember, you are not alone.